Today we have a special guest, Lisa Lawler. She is the founder of the White Collar Wives Project. She didn't grow up thinking her career would be helping other women navigate life when their husbands got caught committing white collar crime. Let's get going. Today we have Lisa Lawler. And Lisa, I don't remember exactly how we met, but um, do you? I, now that you say that, I'm kind of thinking um, that it might have been just through our general common network. Yeah, it might have been through Abby Ellen. It could have been through Abby. Richard B. Strong. Or, so I am fascinated and I want to give I want you to tell your story. But first off, um, what is the this is like a speed round. Okay. What is the what is the best money you have ever spent? I think, you know, that's an easy one on my on my business. Um, I think probably getting someone to tweak my uh, website because okay. after I'd been doing this for a little while, the website that I had created just wasn't wasn't getting it done. Uh, so I spent some money and had a professional come in and upgrade my website. And yeah, that was that kind of opened the floodgates. That was great money spent. And then what about best money spent personally? Therapy. <laughs> I kind of thought maybe so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what keeps you up at night or gets you up in the morning? I think what keeps me up at night lately is just like a lot of people, the state of the world right now. And I try to shut down and close it down at bedtime, but sometimes it doesn't help. Um, what gets me up in the morning, I think, is that, you know, there's always another client of mine who needs help. There's always you know, my writing gets me up because there's so much that I'm working on so many projects. I'm working on a training for attorneys, as you know, uh, that book is going to be really helpful. I'm also working on a book uh, based on my support group, The Secret Lives of White Collar Wives. And those are going to be, it's a book about, they're essays. It's an essay compilation of all these different stories that are page turners truly to anyone, you know, not just people that are affiliated with, with this kind of, um, in this realm, but for anyone who's curious about white collar wives, you know, are they guilty? Did they know that they didn't know? This book will kind of put that question to rest. And then my memoir I finished a couple of years ago, but I've just been um, reticent to put it out there, but uh, writing gets me up and going in the morning. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you gave a little hint about your background, but why don't you give the sort of elevator speech? Okay. Well, a little over a dozen years ago, uh, I learned that my husband was under investigation for embezzling two and a half million dollars from a prominent teaching hospital in New England. At that point, we've been married for 25 years, had a son who was uh, 11 at the time. And he had been having an affair with a former friend of mine. And so we had been separated. You know, I thought the affair would blow over and I was being very European about it, very patient with it. And then when it became clear that this was kind of a real thing, um, I had to move out, you know. So he was actually had broken up with his girlfriend after several months, was trying to make his way back home to make amends. And then he he told me that he had just found out he was under investigation for embezzling. It's funny. At first he told me it was 150,000. And I said, well, let's just take an equity loan out. Let's just pay it off. Let's just fix it. And he said, no. I said, well, go to your boss, go, go and say, look, let's don't, 
make this legal, you know, here I am just trying to fix it. You know, let's get it done privately. Let's just do it. Let's just pay him. No, that's not going to work. And I couldn't figure out why, because about a week later, he said, uh, it's really not 150,000, it's 500,000. And I thought, oh, holy hell. Uh, at the end of the day, it turned out to be 2.5 million. I remember one of my sisters saying, when I told her that, she said, remember the good old days? And it was just $150,000. <laughs> So from there, yes, we divorced. It took forever. It took three years for him to finally be indicted. Um, you know, you know, paper trails don't lie. And he had sent all along to the uh, attorney general's office, look, I want to come in. I want to plead. And they kept refusing him. So three years later, yeah, three years later, uh, I had moved after my divorce down to Austin, Texas uh, from Massachusetts to be with my dad, be near my dad, be near family. Although I had a lot of family in New England, I just needed to get out of the fishbowl. So, you know, I'm lucky that I divorced early on before indictment because I didn't know what I didn't know in those days. But it turned out to be the right thing to do, because once the state or the feds come in, they can freeze your house, uh, freeze your freeze your assets, your bank accounts, your home. It's awful. So I had the opportunity to to get past that and, and have the, the proceeds from the sale of my house. Anyway, so my ex followed us down there with the permission from the court and his attorney and the AG. And a year later, they they came down and arrested him in his house that he was renting in Austin, Texas, arrested him. Two state troopers came in uh, a week later after the arrest, local sheriff's office arrested him, put him in jail, county jail for a week. And then two state troopers came and arrested him, put him in leg shackles, arm cuffs wrapped around his waist, put him on a commercial flight and flew him back to Boston. And I tell you, this is a man who had pled guilty at the get-go, was trying to get past this, but it was an election year, as they say. And uh, Martha Coakley wanted to be tough on crime and good for her. But to do that for someone, to, to, to come and arrest someone as if they were a hunted killer, a wanted killer on the run, was just ridiculous. So that was really traumatizing to my son. And it really made me angry. Uh, but from there, after all of that uh, passed, he never went to prison, he did a year in jail. But he, um, he, um, you know, went on to remarry and all that stuff these guys always do. I started blogging about my experience, because it does feel lonely. And so I started blogging and other women started reaching back to me. And bit by bit, I built the support group over the years, and we are in the triple digits. And the majority of the women, these are white collar wives. Uh, the majority of the women are here in the uh, United States, but we've got women from Paris, France, you know, South America, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Canada. Um, but the majority of the women are here, and the support is amazing. These are really smart women, lest there be any doubt uh, that we're duped you know, egregiously. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of the genesis of how I got to be, you know, in this business. Yeah. Cause I, I want to say you kind of have an artistic background, don't you? Well, you know, I don't know if it's artistic. I did a lot of domestic violence work early on, but yeah, I do. I, I, I do a bit of uh, a bit of art on the side. It's just for my own sanity. Yeah, you've probably seen my my uh, my jewelry line, uh, but that is really a nice outlet to balance the heavy stuff that I do, um, and I love it. Well, and no one grows up saying that I'm going to start 
a support group for white collar wives. Nobody that I ever know of. And guess what? Even as a grown up, nobody's done it. It's it's funny. I hear from women and they say, I know, you know, try to Google support and you're the only name that ever comes up. And all I can think of is that it's because I'm the only one that does this. Uh, so it's pretty easy find, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, like- but so hopefully, you know, this will become mainstream once we get the legal training out and going. It'll hopefully become more in the mainstream, innocent spouse work. Certainly Erica Jane brought the innocent spouse issue. Huh. Well, maybe not in her case. I don't know. Uh, but the white collar wife syndrome, maybe we should start calling it a syndrome or phenomenon, um, brought that to the to the country's uh, uh, eye because she's well known. A lot of women watched that that franchise, the Real Housewives. And so I thought maybe that was something that might get the conversation going again, opening the door uh, for me to come in. So that's why I did that blog piece on uh, Erica Jane. You know, so she know. Is there a, a I'm going to say a demographic age wise? Um... That's a really good question, Kelly, because what I'm seeing mostly, and I can only go by what I'm seeing and the women that contact me and reach out to me. I would say if there was a median age, it would probably be early to mid forties. Having okay. said that, I have had clients as young as, you know, early thirties. And I have clients, many clients who are in their fifties and even sixties. So, and, and that's really tragic because if you've been a stay at home mom or a housewife with your kids grown empty nester and you haven't worked in 20 or 30 years or never worked out of college, I have some of those women too who suddenly now have to scramble and make a living. And in this economy, uh, it's very difficult uh, because you're going to start out in a minimum wage job and knowing what rents are now and the cost of food, the cost of living is astronomical. These women are truly struggling. Well, I mean, uh, Ruth Madoff. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, she's 80 plus. Yeah. And, um, you know, not that I feel sorry for her at all, but, you know, she went from being this high in society to not even be able to get her hair cut. Yeah, she was ostracized in her hair salon. I remember that. You know, I, I, um, I have a problem with people being angry at Ruth Madoff. There's a lot of emotional, almost Stockholm syndrome stuff that goes on with, with women in these long, long-term marriages that um, the humiliation factor also is, is extreme. So she, in her case, you know, her, her own children wouldn't speak to her unless she divorced Bernie and stopped talking to him and stopped seeing him. Sorry for that noise. So I don't think she knew anything about it. Again, I've got clients whose husbands make millions of dollars. And so another million or two, they're, they're just not going to question where that came from. Because again, oh, it's a new client. It's this, it's that. But Ruth Madoff, her husband, Bernie was just, you know, this was bringing money in, in, in hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, annually. And so how was she supposed to know if, you know, she keeping an account of where every penny's coming from? No. And then people say, well, she had a, a, an office in the building. And so does that mean she knew? No. Um, I don't think we'll ever know the truth about whether the sons knew, if they didn't know, if it was, cons- cons- you know, contrived to have the sons blow the whistle on him. I, who knows? But I think Ruth is a sympathetic character. And I think that um, she's been harshly judged 
um, like a lot of white collar wives are. And certainly there are women out there that will divorce immediately and want to be away from, from the situation. But also there are women that are angry and also want to stay married and stand by for better or for worse. That's what they signed up for. So there's no kind of uniformity in terms of how women react and, and handle their business moving forward. It's kind of a hodgepodge. But I do get a lot of women that say, you know, I wish I'd listened to you and gotten divorced and separated my assets before this went forward, you know, before the indictment came down. The investigative yeah. phase, as you know, can last a year or more. So yes. they've got a good chunk of time to, uh, to, to get that divorce, separate their assets, because the government has a tendency to come in and take not only what belongs to the perp, but the entire marital estate. Even though they never indict or investigate the wife, there's no indictment, the whole marital estate is wiped out and held with a monitor for restitution and penalties and all that. And that's wrong. So a lot of what I do is counseling women on getting your assets separated from your husband ASAP uh, because it's low hanging fruit for the government to come in, even though you've not been accused of doing anything wrong and legally, you know, they can only go after what the perp owns or ever owned in that marriage. Growing up um, money is power. And in my family, money was power. Right. I remember my dad vividly coming home with his tax return and having my mom sign it in front of us. And he covered the number. Really? He, and now my dad was not a criminal <laughs> at all. But That's fascinating. He covered the number. And later on when, and my dad ended up having tax problems, but yeah. later on, I asked my dad and he goes, she would have never understood the number. And I was like, well, that's a little dismissive, but I mean, I mean, truly he had tax write-offs. So she'd see this number and she, he goes, she'd just go spend it. But I literally, I can close my eyes and see my dad put the document down, cover the number and say, just sign it. And you know, my mom ended up being responsible for those taxes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and that is egregious. I, I think that you know, people think that um, it's easy to apply for and receive innocent spouse status. It's not because the onus is not on the IRS to prove that you're guilty. It's the onus is on the spouse to prove that they didn't know about it. And there has to be some forensics that back that up as well. Um, so it's 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 a lot harder than you think, um, because otherwise everyone would just, every spouse would just say, oh, I didn't know, even though they did know. So yeah, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. It's not easy, but those taxes, yep, yep. Spouses, as you know, are, are on the hook for any underreported or unreported income. Or tax shelters that later get you know, yeah, declared right. invalid. So right. not criminal, but still you're responsible. You need to know. Um, yeah. And it's just that money is power. I don't know, do you watch Billions? Yes. Okay. Are Doesn't you, everybody? Are you team Bobby or team Chuck? Uh, you know, I kind of fluctuate between the two. I, I think that their motivations, both of them, their motivations are a little bit skewed. There's, you know, quite the rivalry going on. But I think that they they each have legitimate reasons for, for, uh, for doing what they're doing. I think that one is bound legally 
to, to do the right thing. And the other one, it's about power and money, but mostly about power. But the thing they do have in common is the power, the power. They want that power. You know, they want to win at any cost. And like anyone else, you know, or, or some that are easily led, that skews your judgment. You know, you always have to go back and ask yourself and get grounded. Why am I doing this? What are my motivations, be, you know, behind what I'm doing or thinking of doing? But these two guys, um, it's the power. I always, you know, look at look at what's going on in our government. It's, it's money and power. It's always going to be the power that, that people want and control. So I don't know. I go back and forth. I love that Bobby is so... Um, fixated on on his mission in life you know that's commitment um and, and sometimes he's willing to take a look at himself but but just a little uh now the the, the ag guy i mean he he's always questioning his you know is this the right thing to do is it not i'll screw it i'll do it anyway so they're both terribly flawed characters let's put it that way so i, I don't find myself throwing my support behind one or the more than the other I just think it's an interesting boxing match to watch. I'm more team Bobby because really? I hold Chuck to a higher standard. Well, that's, you're right. Well, because he is, you know, he, he's, he's legally obligated to uphold the law and perform accordingly. Yeah. Does and you always know get Bobby's it right. A, yeah. You know, Bobby's a crook. Exactly. Like, exactly. So, so I hold him. I'm more team Bobby just because he's not held to that same standard and coming not, from, I mean, from a like a, from a likability standpoint, I would go with Chuck. <laughs> Bobby's not very likable. That's just, that's the way it is. That's how I yeah. feel. Yeah. He's manipulative. He's power hungry. He's uh, self-centered, egocentric. Yeah. All those traits that I find ab abysmal. You know, one thing that's interesting now that we're talking about this is like, Bobby didn't go out and then immediately get like, you know, a girlfriend half his age. That is yeah. not a storyline, which is yeah. kind of surprising. And his wife has just disappeared, you know, because he probably gave yeah. her a couple hundred million dollars. <laughs> right. Bye-bye. Yeah. yeah. So, but I do like that the storyline doesn't have him going out and getting someone half his age. I agree with that. I mean, yeah, that, that is something I noticed early on too. Um, it's funny because I had an agent for like 25 seconds after the New York times article came on a UTA agent out of uh, LA. And they said, um, yeah, we want to play the long game here. We'd love to make this a, uh, a series, you know, a scripted series. Uh, we're going to play the long game. I said, okay, that's great. He called me one day and said, one of the uh, writers from Billions, uh, I had a conversation at the water cooler with one of the writers from Billions who found your story compelling, loved it. And I thought, okay, so what's the next step? And then, of course, nothing. So I was hoping that they would explore that a little bit with, with Bobby's ex-wife. Um, you know, they touched upon it briefly in terms of, of, you know, does she have any exposure? Does, you know but they just barely touched upon it. I think they just didn't want to go down that route and open a can of worms. I also contacted, is it Mark West with American Greed um, to discuss American Greed versus, you know, the behind the scenes programming of, of innocent spouses, white collar wives. I said, you know, you guys have been doing the same show for 13 freaking years. It, it, it's, it, you know, guy does a crime or gal does a crime, gets investigated, goes to, gets found guilty, goes to prison. Same story for 13 years. 
So I told him about several compelling stories of white collar wives and his spouses. He said, these, these are incredible stories. I said, they are. And I said, they need to be heard because they really are the behind the scenes of the American greed stories. He said, you know what? Let me go talk to my team. He came back a couple of days later and said, um, my team doesn't think that it's compelling enough for audiences to tune in every week. And I thought, he said, yeah, we've thought about doing this before, uh, but they, are, they don't, the team doesn't think it's compelling enough material for audiences to tune in every week. And I very politely said, yet they're turn, tuning in for 13 years to essentially the same story every week. So I just found that confounding, completely confounding. Problem here is I think that networks don't understand, producers don't understand that these aren't little ladies. These are very bright professional women in many cases who were duped egregiously, um, first by their husband and then oftentimes by the government who comes after their, their assets um, when they've done nothing wrong. It's so, you know, it's one of those, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. <laughs> but, um. Well, and we all have optimism bias. We don't think that this is going to happen. I mean, I would go broke if I sold fraud prevention because yeah. no, we hire people we know, like, and trust. We marry people we know, like, yeah. know, love and trust. And even though one out of two marriages approximately ends in divorce, right? If you know, it just, we don't think it will happen to us because we're bright. Exactly. And, That's yeah. an excellent point. Um, I, I think that, you know, every story is similar, but each story has its own set of circumstances. You, you know, the cases you investigate, I mean, you know that pretty much it's going to follow a, a, you know, a predictable line, but they're all interesting. They're all fascinating. Um so I, I think there's a lot there. I, I think that it would be compelling. And I'm hoping that once I get the Secret Lives of White Color Wives book out, that people will really see just how fascinating these stories are. I had a woman, a client who was actually a group member, who lived in a something like 25,000 square foot home in Beverly Hills or Brentwood or whatever. Her husband was a financial advisor. He was very well known. And they hauled him off. Uh, but when the feds came in to do the... Um, the warrant and to pick up computers and whatever receipts that house there must have been she said there must have been 25 agents crawling around my house so she made a silver tray of finger sandwiches and lemonade and went all over the house offering them up and i said what did you do that for she said because that's how i was raised in our culture people are in our house they're guests and so that's what she did and i just <laughs> But that was hilarious. They probably took the silver tray as part of forfeiture. <laughs> right, right. After all the sandwiches, thank you very much. We'll take that. So many great stories, though. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was disappointed that the American Greek producers didn't see the value in that and the enhancement of that. Another interesting thing, the head of CNBC, uh, I think it was Mark Hoffman, got after the New York Times article again. Thank you, Abby Ellen. Shout out to Abby. Um that they were intrigued. So he had one of his top producers get in touch with me for a call because he thought this would make a great docu-series or even a one-off. And as time went by, that didn't go anywhere. So that was, you know, start off with CNBC, end up with Lifetime. I mean, I've run the whole gambit. And now I'm just, I'm now I'm not interested anymore. Now I'm just, you know, just going to keep plugging away, helping the women that I can help and so keep messaging that through my blogging. 
That's one of the things is um, I just wrote down. It's not just the money. Money is replaceable. But these women who find themselves ostracized, to find themselves, you know, looking at a, um, you know, part-time, low-level job without benefits, you know, not being able to go weekly for their hair or whatever it is, um, it's not the money. It's so much more than the money because money is tangible. They can replace it. These women cannot replace that money. Well, they've lost future income of their spouse. They've lost benefits. They can't afford health insurance anymore. They can't afford a roof over their head. So for them, they are scrambling. You know, some of them are baristas at Starbucks, you know, making minimum wage or living with family members. That money is, will never. I talked to a guy the other day from New York, really interesting guy who's involved in a, an enormous civil litigation that's going to be criminal soon. He said, I made $6 million with my partners and I made it legitimately. And now they went and they did some things. I can't talk about it much, but he said, I'm 54 years old. I'll never make that money back. So, you know, I always, when I have a young person come in her thirties or early forties, I always think there's time you can get training. You can relaunch. You can, you have time but for the women in their late fifties and sixties who come to me. It, it, it's so heartbreaking because Ageism is alive and well in this country and, and probably around the planet. These women have to start from ground zero. They can't go live with their parents. Their parents are either long dead or in nursing homes or whatever. So they have to go live with their children in many cases. And it, it's just heartbreaking. So, yeah, so they've got the monetary damage. They also have the, you know, the stigma, the shame, humiliation, all of that, the heartbreak, because, you know, marriages often fall apart over a long period of time. With white collar crime, these women have been going along under the facade of having a really great marriage. And then they get hit with this. There's an investigation or there's an indictment. It happens so quickly that it blows their minds. There's no time to, it just, it just happens suddenly. You know, this marriage is over suddenly instead of kind of this long slide into separation of divorce or divorce. So it's pretty jarring. One of the things that I say is that, you know, the cheesy thing, lemon made out of lemons. Right. Um, do you have, because I, I have victims of fraud and I have fraudsters who, when it, the gig is up and, you know, the immediate just, you know, aftermath is terrible, but eventually they get to a point and they're like, I mean, I have a woman who stole a quarter of a million dollars, which isn't a ton. She's a waitress and she says she's never been happier. I have a victim, half a million dollars. She actually, their business has taken off more so. So can you tell us a story about maybe someone who has come to you and said, I I'm happier than I've ever been. And I just didn't realize it could be. I think that's a really good question. I think that I don't know if I have women that are happier than they've ever been. I have women that are smarter than they've ever been. They're taking control of their lives for the first time, perhaps. And, and they're becoming, you know, coming into their own as their own person. They don't have a partner to rely on. And they know that that awakening of having to rely on themselves for the first time in many cases in their lives, because they went from their parents' house to college to marriage. They've never had to take care of themselves. And they've always had someone to take care of them financially or, you know, and as an emotional staple in their lives. So a lot of these women, I wouldn't say they're some have said, yes, I'm, I'm, I, I realize now looking back how unhappy I was, 
didn't realize it at the time because now they do have agency. You know, they, they can move about their lives freely. They can make decisions freely. They can, you know, come into relationships kind of with eyes wide open. And, and that is freeing. So I, I don't think I've heard anyone say I'm happier than I've ever been before, but they're certainly more awake. Be, it's an awakening of sorts, which is really empowering. And they're enjoying that feeling perhaps for the first time. Well, I, look at your story. I mean, you are, you are affecting so many people in such a positive way. Well, thank you. It's, I, um, it, it's heartbreaking work at times, but when, when my clients get it right and heed my advice, it, it's a wonderful feeling to, to see them blossom and for be self-protective and proactive and all that. You know, I wouldn't do this work, Kelly, over so many years if, if I wasn't getting that result, if it was just always women saying, I hear you, but I'm not going to do that, then I, I you know, I would have stopped a long time ago. But those women that are really willing to, to take action and take control and, and have agency in their lives and, and do the hard work, it, it's really rewarding. Yeah. It is so, so I would say you've made lemonade out of lemons. Well, thank sure. you. You know, I, I, really, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to walk away from this work, but then another, you know, another woman gets in touch with me and I can't say no. You know, there's no, I'll never get rich in this work. A, a lot of people say you should start a nonprofit. And what I can say to that is, uh, but I don't want to run a nonprofit. I want to do the work I'm doing because running a nonprofit is a lot of work. You know, there's a lot of fundraising that goes on. There's, so who knows, you know, I've, I've done most of this out of pocket. And at this point, I can't afford to keep doing this out of pocket. I'm going to have to have a benefactor. So if anyone's listening, uh, I need a benefactor to keep helping these women and children. Uh, but hopefully this book will bring in some income and train some attorneys so that we can begin to turn this ship around and get, get the courts to understand women's ownership and their own marriages, uh, that they're not third parties, they're, they're owners, they're joint owners of their marital estate. They're not third parties. And that's the biggest hurdle we've got to get over. Yeah, yeah. So um, kind of as we, uh, as we kind of come to the end, yeah. uh, what's your favorite movie, TV show um, that you think like, I don't want to say helped you or just something that you kind of related to. Well, you know, it's funny. Mary Tyler Moore show from way, way, way back in the day. In those days, you didn't see women, single women, unmarried women who were professional, had a, had a great, you know, social life in terms of, of keeping your circle close um, so that's always kind of stuck with me. And now people are always saying, you look like Mary Tyler Moore. But it's funny because I've always been able to say that's the woman. She's a role model back in the day of single women of a certain age without a husband. And so I find myself unmarried all these years after being married for so long. Uh, that's always interesting. But currently, my biggest uh, obsession is succession. And I think it's because of that family, family dynamic where nobody trusts anyone within the family. You know, the father will throw any of their, his children under the bus in a heartbeat and does, and he's done it. Um, I just find that family dynamic to be so interesting because family is supposed to be solid and you're supposed to have each other's backs. And in this family, they are so dysfunctional. 
it all goes back again to power and control and money. So I think yeah. it's a show for the times we're living in. Uh, and it's certainly uh, compelling. It's for me, must see TV. I don't watch a lot of network TV. I, I just am not interested. Uh, but I'm a real BBC fan. I love the BBC and their docu-series. There's so many great ones, too many to name, but really like those kind of snippets, day-to-day -day living, how people interact with each other, how kind or unkind they are to each other. Uh, you know, the human condition is fascinating, you know, in, in any event. But are you, so watching, are, are, you watching, are you watching Ted Lasso? I am not, but I keep hearing great things about it. You should watch it because of the powerful woman who gets the soccer club in the divorce and how, like, I, I think you should watch it for that reason, because yeah. I think you might have an interesting sort of perspective And the season two just ended and there's no spoilers. Okay. Um, but season three, I think there's going to, yeah, I think you got to add that to your list. All right, good, because I'm just at a point where I'm looking for the next thing to watch. And I've just been hearing a lot about that. Didn't he just win an, uh, an Emmy for his oh, performance? Oh, they won so many Emmys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so, I'll check it out. So, and she's so smart. I will check and, it out. You know, it's a divorce. There's not, like, he's not a criminal that we know of or anything like that. But he's awful as an ex-husband. So I think... <laughs> like a train wreck watch this yeah 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 but it's so so good so lisa i can't thank you enough i'm going to put lots of links in the show notes to the new york times right. article to the white color wives and everything but um is there one last piece of advice that you could give to i i'm going to say fraud professionals to help them when they get someone who says oh my god i never thought this could happen you know, I was talking to was it John Gill. I did his ACFE uh, or AFCE podcast a few years ago. He kind of asked the same question. And I think that, you know, I think it's really important to use family as leverage when you're trying to get uh, perps to come clean. Uh, I think it's really important that people consider those around them who they love and who love them. And if, if for no other reason, you know, the, the Think about family, your family members uh, and the consequences when this drags out forever and ever. Uh, and even for people who aren't, you know, perpetrators of white collar crime, we really need to treat each other better, our family members. We need to really keep in mind that we are protectors of each other and we must always have each other's backs and, and not do anything that would, would, would harm ourselves because of course, then it would in turn harm our family members. And, and, the, and I think the biggest thing of all is that people need to have their eyes wide open ethically and, and in every way. I think we need to teach ethics in school from a young age. And um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I want to thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. I, I am always watching your work and find it fascinating. And sometimes when you say, you know, well, yeah. It was only $250,000. That's a hell of a lot of money. Know. You know? And it's interesting. We've talked about this. I'll just say briefly that, you know, I were, the, the women I deal with, their husbands are, you know, embezzling into the millions of dollars. But it all kind of works out to be the same thing. Fraud is fraud. You know, and there's consequences to fraud. So thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, I love that. Fraud is fraud. And you fraud know, one, is of fraud. Hashtags, one of my hashtags is 
hashtag men steal more. And you know. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. we talked about that too, because they, they're in positions of, of they're in more powerful positions than women. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Lisa. We will have you back thank when you. your book is out. And I can't wait to read the essays because oh, they're great. I, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, it, it's going to be a good read. It'll be a good read for everyone. So thank you. And you and I will be in touch. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Kelly. Wasn't Lisa fascinating? I can't wait for her book and essays about other women in their lives as white collar wives. I had heard about Erica Jane, but when I read Lisa's blog, I was pretty shocked. Not everything is always as it seems. Please let me know what you thought about this episode. There are links in the show notes. Have a wonderful week.